seated, please. Good morning. It's good to be with you today. We're delighted to have everyone with us, especially those who are visiting with us. If you've got your Bible, we're going to begin in John chapter 10 in just a moment. And we encourage you to take your Bible or your phone and turn over to John 10, and we'll get started there in just a moment. Delighted to be with each of you today. A lot of energy in here this morning. I noticed that. A lot of excitement, a lot of energy. I think that's for a few reasons. One reason is this is Sunday, the best day of the week. I think another reason is we just like being with each other, and that's a good thing. And I think a third reason is we like being here, because good things happen here. And we're delighted that you can be part of that with us today, as we come to encourage and study and honor our God so much. K-Star and Pete King wrote a children's song several years ago. Now, a lot of you may not have heard of the song before. Uh, the song was based upon the book of Ezekiel called Dry Bones. But I almost guarantee you, most of us have heard the middle part of this song, where it says the foot bone is connected to the ankle bone. The ankle bone is connected to the shin bone. And the shin bone is connected to the knee bone. And the knee bone is connected to the thigh bone. Thigh bone to the hip bone. Hip bone to the backbone. Backbone to the head bone. What that cute little song did for the kids, it told them that we're a skeleton on the inside. It taught them that how all the bones are connected together. And it reminded them of how things function. And this morning, that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about how things function in God's church. And predominantly what we want to focus in on and look real specifically at is the organizational structure of God's church. We want to talk about this concept of shepherding. For the past several months, we've talked on and off about shepherding in different aspects. But we want to focus the next few Sunday mornings to talk about this concept of God's organization, how it works, and the need for shepherds. Within the past year, we've lost about three of our shepherds here for different reasons. And although we talk about this a lot... I want to put some traction on this and really get us thinking about this as we think about what God wants us to do and the challenges before us as we face these things. We begin, first of all, with two simple principles. And that is, number one, we are sheep. Now, we don't often like to admit that. Of all God's animals, there's a lot of animals God made. We would say, God, call me the tiger. No, you're a sheep. How about the lone wolf? Sorry. And for a lot of people in this area, I want to be a wildcat. Sorry, you're a sheep. And that's how God defines us. And there's a lot of reasons for that as we think about this concept of God calling us that. Now, in your Bible, you got John chapter 10 open. Let's begin by looking at the first five verses, and then we'll jump down to verse 8. John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But the one who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Wherever he puts forth his own, he goes before them. All the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Verse 5, a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. And then as he begins down in verse 8 again, all who come before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep did not hear them. 
I am the door. If anyone enters through the door or enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and come out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. For I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds a wolf coming, and he, will, and he leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling, and he is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have, sheep, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also that they may hear my voice and that they will come into one flock with the shepherd. Here Jesus is identifying who we are. We are sheep, he says. And there's reason for that. Number one, sheep need help. They have no defensive mechanism. You don't go up to a farm field and see a sign, beware of sheep. You'll see that. They don't, they're not fast. They don't have terrible teeth to chew into you. There's not something that you're scared about. I mean, we've seen beware of dog signs. I was one time in a place where a guy had a whole bunch of buffalo in his field. And people would stop and take pictures of the buffalo. Some would even get in the pasture where the buffalo were. And he had a sign up that says, make sure you can cross the field in nine seconds. The buffalo cross it in ten seconds. The idea is you better hoof it if you're out there. Now, we don't see that with sheep. And the second reason why he says this is sheep need guidance. They tend to wonder. They tend not to pay attention. They tend to kind of go the other direction. And so because of that, God understood that we need shepherds. We are like sheep, whether we want to admit it or not. The second thing that we need to begin with is that God has always led his people. He's never left his people on his own. He never said, come and find me. He never said, well, you got yourself in that mess. Get yourself out of that mess. He leads us through his word. Psalms 119 verse 105 describes the Bible as a lamp unto my feet. We don't think about an oil lamp in our hands as they did back in ancient Israel. But we would think about your light on your phone. Or we think about a flashlight. And we think about what's the purpose. It's all dark. I can see it illuminates things. It warns me of things. It helps me see what should be done. And then God has always led his people through appointed leaders. There was Moses. There was Joshua. There were the judges. There were kings. There were prophets. There were apostles. There was the Lord himself. And in this time period, there are shepherds. And so as we begin this series, we need to see how important it is to see how things function as God has designed them. Philippians 1.1 is our key verse for today. Here the apostle says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. This is the makeup of the congregation. There are saints, and saints aren't dead people. Saints are you. You have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are a holy people. You are people after God's own possession. There are saints, there are deacons, and there are overseers. Now, we begin with this. Why does this matter? And why should I be concerned about this? And you might say, I will never use this stuff. This is beyond me. 
Why do we need to spend some time today, as you said, a series talking about these things? Well, let me tell you a story. When I lived in Kansas City, one of our members was named Todd. And Todd was in the Air Force. And Todd was a stealth bomber pilot. The big B-52, the big old monster stealth bomber. And one day, he invited some of those guys from the church to go out there to see the stealth. There's a ladder going up to the cockpit where one by one we could climb up and look in and see things. And as we were waiting our time to go up in there and look at that, there was a table with a whole bunch of literature on there. And one of our elders just started flipping open one of the books. And Todd walked over there and closed it and said, this is not for your eyes. It was something only for the military. Now, when God has written his Bible, he does not say, now, these chapters or this book is for the common people. This book over here is for those who are going to be leaders. God doesn't do that. Every verse, every word is for every single one of us. All of us need to know. And so as the apostle said in the book of Ephesians, not to be unwise, but to know the will of God. And then secondly, those in Thessalonica were more noble-minded because they searched the scriptures daily. They knew what God wants them to know. And so why is this important? God wants you to know this. And so when we think about the organization of God's church, we think about how it's functions, the idea of overseers and deacons, this is the highest form of government in God's kingdom. There's no branch above us. There's no council above us. There's no committee above us. There's no delegation above us. This is it. And we're going to emphasize this in a lot of ways. So each congregation is independent. And each congregation decides for itself. Now God sets forth the path. Colossians 3, whatever we do in word or deed, God wants us to do it by the will of Jesus Christ. Revelation teaches us in chapter 22, 18 and 19, not to add to or take away, but we are to do what God wants us to do. How simple this is. And you might say, got it. Everybody does this. And no, they don't. This is the diagram of the Missouri Synod of the Lutheran Church. This is how they are organized. And you'll notice at the very top, it sounds very similar like the U.S. government. Legislative branch, executive branch, and a judicial branch. There is a president. And all those arrows in and out. At the very, very bottom down there would be the congregation. But you look at all that big hierarchy, and we go back to Philippians 1. And what do we find? Overseers and deacons and saints. There's nothing above us. There's no official bylaws. This is what you and the Church of Christ have to practice. There's no official voice. They say, you know what? If I don't like it, I'm going to appeal to the top. Well, there's no top other than Jesus. This is the concept of the Methodist Church today. Lots of conferences, lots of delegations, lots of delegates doing all kinds of deciding for the entire body of what goes on. This is more like a franchise as we think about it. And again, the contrast to what we read in the book of Philippians. This is another concept that we see today. Now, our Darren over here is Chick-fil-A. Now, he is, he is overseen by the corporation of Chick-fil-A. If I go over there tomorrow and say, hey, Darren, fry me up a hamburger. Can't do that. He can't do hamburgers at Chick-fil-A. Why? Because the corporation 
won't allow that. And this is how a lot of churches work today. There is a corporation, they are a franchise. And the corporation up above, they decide how everything's done. That's not what we read in the New Testament. And so when we begin our series and we talk about how we function, how does this church function? We need to see that this is the highest form of government. And each congregation is independent and decides for itself. Now let me give you two examples from Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse 6. We read about the church at Ephesus. And it says there, Yet this you do, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now to this day, we're not real sure what the Nicolaitans were teaching, but whatever it was, it was crooked. God didn't like it. Nine verses later, same chapter, we come across a church at Pergama. And at Pergamos says, so you also have some in the same way who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. You see that opposite? On one side, here's a church that says we hate that doctrine. Over here, here's a church that's embracing it. Now, why doesn't somebody stop them? Because there's nobody above them. That's what I want you to see. Why didn't somebody come down and say, you know what, over here, Pergamon, you're not doing right, so I'm going to report you to the head, and the head's going to shut you down, because there is no head other than Jesus. That's the point I want you to see. And so if you have a church like Pergamon, and as we say in the olden days, they become a bad apple. It doesn't make the whole barrel bad apples, because each church is separate. Each church with the New Testament is going to decide by themselves what to do. And so, without shepherds, church is less than what God desires. God wants shepherds because we are at a risk without leadership and without direction. We are sheep, and sheep tend to go all different directions. We need shepherds. And so, God designed shepherds to lead his people faithfully to his word and to heaven. That is the function there. Now, what I want to do is just the rest of our time here. And again, today is just kind of basic. I just want to get the overall concept. And this is why when some of you come and say, well, you know what? I was on vacation, and I went to such and such church over way over yonder, and man, they do weird stuff there. That's right. They're a separate church. Right or wrong is going to be up to, up to them and Jesus. And so we need to see that just because a building says Church of Christ doesn't mean they're following the Bible. Just because some man stands in a pulpit and says, hey, I am a preacher in the Church of Christ, it doesn't mean that he's faithfully following God's word. What determines that is if they're doing those things. Now, let's look at some passages. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. It says, be on guard for yourselves and for, the whole, all for, for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's one of our words for what we're talking about, for God's leaders. What is an overseer? He's someone that sees over. He's watching. On your slide there, you notice that shepherd standing on that hill. He's looking down at the sheep, isn't he? He's not on a cell phone. He's not taking a nap. He's not on his tablet. He's not looking the other direction. He is seeing the sheep. He is watching the sheep. Within the same passage, as it continues, it says the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd. We talk about that word a lot, shepherding. 
And the word shepherd simply means to care or to feed or to nourish. It's the well-being of the sheep. That's what shepherds do. The church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Another passage, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 3, verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of bishop, oh, bishop, we know that in the game of chess. If you're a pawn, you're not very much. But if you're a bishop, you're pretty high up. And so we have overseers, and then we have bishops. Now, what the word bishop simply means is one who oversees. That's all it means. And so it's the same thing as an overseer. Same thing as someone who watches. That's what a bishop is. Now, we go to another passage. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean someone who's aged and alive, but what it means is someone who's experienced spiritually. This guy's not new on the block. He's seen trouble. He knows how to fix things. He's heard things. He's been with it. He's got some mileage on him spiritually. He is an elder, it says. Now, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, we get come to another passage. It says, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors. Brother Jason's our pastor. Wrong. Brother Jason's our preacher. The word pastor is, again, the same thing as a shepherd or a feeder or a nourisher. Now, the denominational world has missed that today. The denominational world thinks that one person, the pastor, which is in their minds the preacher, runs the whole thing. That's not the biblical picture that God has before us. And so it helps us to kind of remind ourselves of some of these things. So what we have is overseer, bishop, elder, pastor, and shepherd. They all refer to the same group of people. Now, the first thing that comes to my mind, well, why did God use so many words? Well, I could talk about Justin here. Justin's a citizen. Justin's a husband. Justin's a father. Justin's a Christian. All in and all, we're putting these words up here. Justin's a coach. Justin's a worker. And why so many different words? Because they describe different aspects of Justin's life. Why overseer, bishop, elder, pastor, shepherd? Because they describe different aspects of what they're doing. And what we find in our Bible is there's always a plurality of elders. You never find just one. Again, the wisdom of God. One person can kind of get bent crooked a little bit and start running the place. A plurality keeps that from happening. So in Acts 14, verse 23, when they had appointed elders, notice a plurality, not elder, but elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commanded them to the Lord in whom they believed. Titus was told this, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders. See that plurality once again. That's what we find in the New Testament. Secondly, when we think about this, their work is limited to the congregation they are part of. So if we were to go all the way back in our slide to the Revelation slides, where we had Ephesus on one side and Pergamum on the other side, why didn't the elders at Ephesus go over there and help Pergamum? Because they have no authority. They cannot do that. Peter tells us this, shepherd the flock of God among you. So we don't have citywide elders. We don't have regional elders. We don't have countrywide elders. We don't have national elders. We don't have international elders. The shepherds of this flock are concerned with this congregation and this congregation only. 
That's the limit of their work. And again, that's what we see in the Bible. The work also is spiritual. Peter would say in 1 Peter 5, verse 3, Nor yet as lorded over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flocks. That They are examples. They're not bosses. They're not CEOs running the corporation. They are shepherds in a field. Now this evening, we're going to have what we call one of our chair series. And if you're visiting with us, what we do is we move this pulpit out of the way, and Jason and I sit up here with a couple chairs, and we ask each other questions. And the question is going to be based upon this concept of shepherding. We want to dig it just a little bit deeper for you this evening, get some more ideas behind some of this so we can get the good understanding of what God wants us to do. And so the work of shepherds or these leaders is the well-being of the flock. I believe for years and years this has been the common picture of what the church is. Jesus, elders, deacons, and members. And I've had so many people through the years just tell me, well, I'm just a member. I'm just one of the common members. I'm just a plain member. Excuse me, you're in the body of Jesus Christ. You're in the kingdom of God. You are sanctified. You are a saint of God. Don't ever call yourself just a member. You're part of Jesus Christ. And that's important. This, I believe, is the biblical picture. Is that the shepherds are not above us. They are leading us. And Jesus Christ has a direct connection to all of us. As we think about how these things should be. Then in the book of Proverbs, chapter 27... This wonderful statement is made. Again, as we consider this idea of shepherding the flock of God, know well the condition of your flock. That's why their, their attention is not on the paint on the walls. Their attention is not who parks where in the parking lot. Their attention is upon you and upon me and getting us all to grow and get right with Jesus and get to heaven. That is their concern. So in Luke chapter 15, we read this, as Jesus told the story about the lost sheep. He says, one man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Now, I wrote about this past week in our jump starts. I always find this interesting. I mean, to me, being a city guy, and I admit I'm city through and through. If you ask me, hey, Roger, let's go camping, I'm going to say, what floor of the Hilton are we staying at? That's camping for me. Okay? But now... If you got 99 sheep and I leave them to go after one lost one, how do I know I'm going to have 99 when I come back? That's always been a puzzlement to me. But what notice here, he recognized the sheep was missing. How did he know the sheep was missing? He had been bishoping. He had been overseeing. In our layman terms today, we would say he's been counting. And I imagine he counted two times and three times. I thought I had 100. I keep coming up with 99. I'm going to start this side and count this way. 99. Maybe I didn't count right. I'm going to start this side and go that way. I got 99. He keeps counting. Somebody is not here. Now, what does he do? He doesn't just pray about it. Well, Lord, send them back. They're missing. I hope he does well out there. What does he do? It says he leaves 99 and goes after the one which is lost and finds it. How did he know where to go? He's a shepherd. How did he know? Well, I'll go down this road. I don't know how far it should go, but maybe he's back here somewhere. I don't know. No, nobody back there. I, well, maybe I'll try this door over here. You know what? He's a shepherd. He knows sheep. Where likely would that sheep be? Probably that last pasture we just left. 
I'm going to start there. And then maybe there was another pastor over here. I'm going to go because I know sheep. He went, it says. And then notice how this verse ends. When he found that sheep, he didn't give him a lecture. I mean, I spent so much time looking for you. We could have been somewhere else, but we had to stop because I couldn't find you. And you know what? I'm going to beat you all the way back so you will never, ever do that again. I'm going to teach you a lesson. No. He puts it on his shoulders. And you look at that picture. That's a big sheep that guy's carrying. Some of us couldn't do that. And you know what? Where that sheep has been? He's got all kinds of bugs and thistles and who knows what in that sheep wool. And that's now going to be all over your neck. But that's what shepherds do. Their concern is not the building. The concern is not the complex. The concern is about you. And when you are missing, when you're not where you're supposed to be, they want to come looking for you. And when they find you, it's not a sermon. It's not a lecture. It's not, don't you ever do that again. It's not a threat. We may withdraw from you. What they want to do is, in compassion, pick you up. As heavy as we may be, put them around our neck and get you back with the flock. That's the work of that. And so that's our first lesson. I just wanted you to see the overall concept when we think about how God designed the church. It's about us. You know, there's a word, in fact, I preached a sermon about this light years ago. It's called, you gotta wanna. You gotta wanna is not an Indian word. It means you got to want to. You gotta wanna. Young people going off to school, if you wanna be on the honor roll, guess what? You gotta wanna. If you said, you know what? I hate this class. I'm not gonna take any notes. I'm not gonna study. Guess what? You're not going to make the honor roll. If you're an athlete and you want to, you want to do well with the team, you got to want to. You're somebody my age and start looking at your finances and say, you know what? We better start saving, honey, or we're going to work till we're 95. You got to want to. And it's the same thing spiritually. Shepherds can lead, but you got to want to. You got to want to go to heaven. You got to want to change. You got to want to trust them. Now, having said what I said, what we are, good or bad, right or wrong, is based on us. We make this church the way it is. There's no outside organization that's going to be brought in here. There's nobody in here that's going to come in, hey, we're, we're going to hire this marketing team, and they're going to do all of our outreach. Nope, don't do that. It has to be us. We want to be warm, it has to be us who has to be warm. We want to be friendly, it has to be us who's going to be friendly. We want to be strong, it has to be us to be strong. There is no one else but us. That's the way God designed the church. You know, being a preacher, I'm sure Jason has experienced this too. We go to a lot of homes visiting people. And you see everything when you go to somebody's home. I was in one guy's house and he had plastic over all the chairs. I thought it was in a museum. As soon as I walked in, um, will you take off your shoes? Yes, yes. I felt like I had to go to laundry first before I sat down. It was plastic. I've been in other homes where there's stacks of newspapers everywhere, and they just kind of throw them on the floor. Sit here, Brother Roger. I say, okay. We'll just sit here. 
Now, I've been to a lot of your homes, and some of your homes, are just, you walk in, it's like, look at this, beautiful, beautiful. Some of us, well, it is what we make it. So why is our homes the way they are? Why are our families the way they are? Why are our marriages the way they are? Why am I the way I am? Because I am the one who decides that. And that's what I want to see as we begin this series. If we want to make this church better, no one else is going to do it but us. We don't care about this church, then that's what's going to happen. We don't, we don't care if we get larger or not, then that's what's going to happen. We want to get larger, then that's going to happen. So it's up to us. You gotta want is a key phrase as you think about our walk with Jesus. So next week, Lord willing, if we get back together, we're going to talk about step two, about this concept of how God wants a church to be led and to be looking that direction. But that's where we need to begin. Now, as we end, let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Matthew, chapter 25. And in these three parables about the coming judgment, he talks about the wise and the foolish virgins. He talks about the man with five talents, two talents, and one talent. And then we get to verse 32 and 33, where the king gathers the nations together. And it says in verse 32, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he'll separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Now just envision this with me. It's judgment. Everybody, everybody, and I mean everybody, is there. Oh, Abe Lincoln sitting over there. There's George Washington. There's Peter. There's Paul. Everybody is gathered together before the shepherd. Goat, goat, sheep. Goat, sheep. And then he comes to you. And he comes to you. Which way are you going to go? With the goats or with the sheep? Now, some people say, I'll just, I'll take my chances. And that's really no chance. And as God has designed things, he's designed some people to help you with this journey. Help you to be a sheep. Help you to go the right direction. That's the design of God. Wouldn't you, as you walk through life, like someone to warn you once in a while? What are you thinking when you're doing that? Wouldn't you like someone to be there to help you? Wouldn't you like someone to offer Bible studies? Wouldn't you like someone to say, hey, let's do this together. Someone to get you stronger and more spiritual and closer to Jesus. So when that time comes, and it will come, and he'll call you, Roger. And what if the last three right before me were goats? Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, I just say, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Or will I walk with confidence? I have believed you all my life. I have done what I believe to the best of my ability. I've leaned on your grace. I've trusted you. I have followed you. I believe with all my heart. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful. Come on in with a smile on his face. That's the way the church operates. And as we go in coming weeks, what we want you to see is this church, this shepherdship we have here, it's not responsible for your faith. They can lead you, 
They can teach you. They can guide you. But at the end of the day, I'm a goat because I chose to be a goat. I'm sheep because I chose to follow Jesus. That's my choice. And we have to see that. So, hope you stay with us as we continue on. Come back tonight as we talk about more of these things. We're going to get some questions that really we hope will help you as we consider this series here and doing these things. But in all of this, that's what I want you to see. I have been in a lot of places when I've gone to preach in other places for meetings. And I've had people say, you know, this church here stinks. I'm going around. <laughs> but what they're talking about is the people. And you know why that, that person thinks they stink? Because the people chose that. They've decided that. I've been in other places. I mean, this church is rocking. This church is hitting on all cylinders. It's amazing all the things we're doing. Why are they that way and another church stinks? It's not because of something up here, some corporation, some... It's because they chose to be that way. You gotta wanna. That's what it's all about. And so this morning, you gotta wanna be baptized to be right with Jesus. That's where it starts. And realize just coming is awesome. But until you give your heart to Jesus and say... Not just be baptized, but I want to take the active steps to follow him. Because someday, it's coming. Goat, sheep. And I want to make sure I'm one of the sheep. It begins with baptism, but it continues by walking faithfully with Jesus every day. And when shepherds lead you, you better follow them. Because God knows what they're doing. And we need to see that help. If you're a subject, why don't you come as we stand, as we sing.